Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings. I'm sorry about the fan, but the air is cleared up finally and it's beautiful outside, which is really, really cool. Oh, but it's a little hot and I've been working all morning and I've just now got a chance to sit down. Oh, okay, so no rain today. And supposedly some rain over the weekend. Okay. 90 by next week. Shoo. It's getting hot. It's summer. All right. So we have... Hello, baby boy. All right. Let me see if I can turn this down. But still stay cool. We have the second part of America, the Promised Land. And we're over halfway through the book, just to give you an idea of where we are. But we're on page 80 at uh, 180, sorry, page 180 at the top of the page. Robert Owen, speaking from Father Rapp's pulpit, threw down an ace which was mistaken humanity, and Father Rapp's little game seemed lost. With great skill, he shot the billiard ball of God in a new direction, as in the streets outside a drover shouted to another. A Luffy, without a flicker of the eyelid, he passed the tree of life and knowledge under which were a man, a woman, and a cow, the very sty of Epicurus. Thus simply the handwriting of an old ordinance was blotted out. The worship of the hermaphrodite butterfly, exaggerated to the status of angel or other non-existent being, was happily over. No longer would men, while wallowing in gutters, be deceived to think themselves translated upward among stars. The old errors of conduct were here abandoned. The old man was put off and the new man was put on. Man, as evidenced by this, by this community, here gathered together, though all were by the winds of autumn driven, sought to improve his environment and in consequence his character. Man sought to get out of the war of all against all. Leviathan, a government in which private vices are viewed as public virtues, was here abandoned in favor of Newton's law of gravity, Rousseau's natural man, Shaft, Shaftesbury, Shaftesbury's reasonable man, and other aspects of humane progress. Materialistic socialism, the product of the science of society, rejected, in fact, the degradation of man's nature. Walking on water, sexual abstinence, clouded hearts, dominions of death, economic chaos, etc. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hello, boys. What are we doing in here? Huh? Come on, get out from underneath there. No, go play. I'm sure they're going to play. This community, as now organized, would differ vastly from that state in which men who are naturally antisocial bind themselves by contract in order to assure self-preservation. Though the power of the leader who preserves them is unlimited, his throne may be set above the stars, and he may order them to engage in suicidal wars. Shortly after the first meeting, Robert Owen presented the constitution of the preliminary society for the approval of the group. First, this preliminary society was instituted generally to promote the happiness of the world. Wild applause. Its objective, more specifically, was to prepare the way for other communities throughout the United States. Applause. The aim of such communities would be to procure for their members the greatest amount of happiness, to assure it to them, and to... Come on. And to transmit it to their children to the latest posterity. Applause. Okay, they've decided to wrestle. Uh, persons of all ages and descriptions exclusive of persons of color were to be admitted to, were to be admitted freely silence 
Persons of color might be received as helpers if necessary, or it might be found useful to prepare and enable them to become associates in Africa or in some other country or in some other part of this country. Applause. Their exclusion, while lamentable, was a temporary defect, an acknowledgement that the world was not yet perfect. Silence. It was hoped that in two or three years the Negro representative might sit at New Harmony's council table, there being no racial inequalities. Silence. While pecuniary inequalities like racial inequalities were not intended, there must be for two or three years during the period of this society's incubation a staff of scientists whose feathers would give warmth to the altruistic egg. (laughs) They body slam each other all the time. Such scientists as they would be independent of the community would wish to be paid in the coin of the realm. Silence. During the first two or three years, or until the preliminary society should have attained the status of a permanent society, Robert Owen would assume leadership in virtue of his previous experience at New Lenark. He was to enjoy, however, no special privilege or exemption from the common lot. A committee, though appointed by Robert Owen, was to be augmented twice a year by popular elections. This committee was this committee was placed in charge of community life, but only for the time being. It was expected that in two or three years, even a nominal supervision of affairs would be unnecessary, as every man would be operating according to their rational principles. Practical provisions were made to ensure the success of New Harmony. Members were to occupy such houses or dwellings as the committee provided for them. All members were to provide, if possible, their own small tools, such as spades and axes. Livestock possessed by members would be taken in place to their credit in the community books, all cows and horses to be shared in common. Labor notes would be received in lieu of money at the community stores, where goods would be provided at cost. The children of members would be located in schools, but would board and sleep in their parents' houses for the time being. Many promises were made. It was hoped that in a few years money would have become obsolete, like the banker who manufactured it. Members might travel at their pleasure, provided the committee could conveniently supply their places during their absence. It was hoped that in a few years they might draw for the expense of travel a sum not to exceed $100 in any year, unless the distance they had to transact was more than 600 miles. Provisions were made for a dispensary. Provisions were made for a community newspaper to keep the people informed on what was happening and lectures on community happiness to keep them happy. So isn't that uh, really telling as... uh, This is before the Civil War, I believe. I don't have my dates right. Um, Yeah, because that was Lincoln. We're in the time of Adams and Jackson. So, I would say that... um, Uh, 1861. So we weren't quite there yet, but that that was going to happen like in the next uh, 40 years, 40, 50 years, there would be a civil war. So even at this time when they're bringing up, because I think slavery was outlawed. It was outlawed earlier. So in the U.S., yeah, it was 1865, so that's what uh, led to the Civil War. But in England, it had ended sooner. 
So, yeah, it's telling that <clears throat> for them to be talking about it now, 40 years before the Civil War, um, um, there's still this deep divide among proposing that this new Lenark or this social construct that Owen was trying to, to uh, build included racial equality, which obviously was met with resistance or silence. Um, so that's interesting. And then the principles as far as how it's going to run seems fairly, fairly doable, but we shall see. At the end of three years, the preliminary committee would have emerged from its chrysalis as a full-fledged moral butterfly, the evils of the individual system having been put off like old garments forever. At present, every man had a new beginning, as no inquiry had been made into his antecedents and past history. It was hoped that his frailties would drop from him, like the leaves from a tree in autumn, and that the next spring of this society would see a burgeoning of the human spirit, beautiful as that of the wild cherry or peach. The banks of the Wabash would be furnished with bees, and the hills would be whitened over the sheep. Man and machine would know and understand all his parts. The future, that spring, was very bright, almost dazzling. There was not the slightest suspicion, evidently, of the fact that happiness may not be a valid aim of mankind, and that moral duty is never moral joy, nor of subjectivity, and that the only object may be the person whose life begins where the state ends, like the butterfly confronted by a glacier. Some said that Robert Owen was the leader whom God had chosen to bring them out of the wilderness into new harmony. Only a leader chosen by God could hope to build, as he did, a new society, without first destroying the old. It was unfortunate, of course, that scarcely a month after the formation of the preliminary society, their leader should depart from among them. The Gazette, in perhaps its first issue, lamented the absence of their founding father, who must wind up his transatlantic affairs before making his permanent residence in New Harmony, which was the foundation of socialism, the very rock of ages. On his return journey, it was understood he would be accompanied by his wife and other members of his family, as well as numerous scientists and educators, wise men from the East. All looked forward to the second coming of one, which should be, barring accidents, the autumn of the year. Meanwhile, it was good to have an Owen face among them as a reminder of their high task in history, which they were to divert from its former course. Just a second. Okay, you too. not on my bed. Oh, our little boy has uh, Manx syndrome, so he has potty problems. So we try and keep him cleaned up, but uh, this last few days I've been trying to feed him real meat to keep him uh, to, I'm hoping that he, he does really well, so we're kind of hoping that he grows out of it somewhat. Um, but, um, yeah, these past couple of days have been miss rather than hit, but it's fine. He's lucky. He's adorable. Okay. So 
William Owen, alas, was not his father. He was something of a realist and destined to become a far more transcendent brewer in Cincinnati. A farmer's and mechanic's paradise seemed to him less likely than a paradise of middlemen and pompous lawyers. His first and perhaps final philosophical attitude was that all things tend to their end. William was impressed by the number who had got salvation and interior radiance intuitionally or by superstitious whiskey drinking certainly not as a result of correlated mental operations. How could these rude, crude creatures, like bulls in a china shop, suppose themselves to be natural men, the child of Rousseau? They discoursed glibly of universalism, yet did not know how to handle a dinner fork. Some could not spell their names, yet felt that they had solved the mysteries of nature. Much of what William called experience had been and would continue to be inaccessible to them. William was afraid that El Dorado had attracted nothing but drones. He was puzzled to know what to do with those who professed to do anything and everything. So this is very interesting. It just it just brings into mind um, okay, not the handling of dinner forks, uh, but that they they are illiterate, but they feel that they've been able to solve the mysteries of nature. Oh, it just reminds me of the brouhaha during the pandemic and the, all that uh, coronavirus. And just hearing people sound off and you're just looking at them like, you don't have a clue. All right. My thumb. I think I found it. Yep. I have something on my thumb that is just... I thought it was a splinter, but nope. I believe it's a scratch. Okay. He was trying to eliminate He was trying to eliminate the worst at the beginning, else how could this community not fail before its second spring? Oh what a sorry situation was his, thus to find himself the head of Utopia, where there were so few heads to depend on. The errors of the past, William felt, had already suppressed the idea of humanity as a whole. Awaking in at night in a cold sweat, he felt that this community was a Nebuchadnezzar victimized by an impossible dream, and might yet come to eat grass. Who should interpret the dream? Only himself. New Harmony seemed doomed to witness the death of all that was good in the old world, the birth of nothing new. It was like a revivalist meeting or a reptilian-headed comet, purely temporary, the mere ghost of a heavenly body and all too transparent, too thin a veil to hide the hoary stars. They were fooling themselves, or if analogous to those homogeneous glowing gaseous nebulae from which planetary systems are said to evolve, how many aeons must transpire before the animal man became ethical man, a bodiless angel? William would not be around, certainly. Troubles multiplied like dragon's teeth. There was already, in the first few months, as perhaps from the first day, a serious housing shortage. Obviously, because of their belief in the temporary status of humanity and its institutions, a belief which William was prone to share, the Rapites had not intended their buildings to be occupied by families with children. It was either a monastic cell or a barracks they had built. Already the Rapite building showed signs of deterioration. They would not withstand the winds and rains another year or two. In order to provide housing for the large influx of Owenite population, it was necessary to allocate a few small families to hog houses and sheep shelters. Utopia was exactly what had been predicted, the sty of Epicurus. William was glad that his mother had elected to remain in New Lanark. He found himself thinking as time went on almost as much of the Rapites as of the Owenites. Being comfortable had meant nothing but that the whole existence of the Rapite should be harnessed to the idea of death. It was difficult to get the Owenites to harness, in harness to the idea of life. As a result, William withdrew himself into a shell of distant politeness. He determined to tie himself to no scheme in which the one is sacrificed for the many. Why, in the land of opportunity, choose oblivion? 
the only truth William was inclined to believe was embalmed in religious doctrine, where, for all he cared, he, it could stay. Indeed, the ideal of progress might be only a substitute for the lost belief in an eternal life, the age encouraged business enterprise such as forbidden in this great artifice, utopia, a body without hands, feet, eyes, ears, or other parts. William decided to go into business as soon as he could escape from a house of shades. There were more intangible than tangible results. The old Adam, who ought to be resisted, was a shirtless, amorphous fellow with holes in his shoes, his hat, and his mind, no backbone, no ambition. Development diverged, branched off, was lost in cloud and mist. At the Rapite Tavern, which had formerly been so well conducted for outsiders only, the Owenites sat drooping over their drooling over their beer, and all the while imagined themselves reborn. A rational happiness would be for such people forever beyond hyper, hyperborean, like cold starlight, a thing not to be attained in the flesh. The elements of decomposition were, sh were surely accumulating. The mistaken individual had not renounced himself. Warped images, persisting from childhood, had weighted down the symbolic Noah's Ark. All gravitated toward misery. To build new houses was out of the question, William reported. There were no new materials to be procured in the whole country. No rocks, ready blasted, no brick, no timber. They had no hands to spare, else the branches in the society must stop. And in that case, society itself would be like a stillborn infant or a profundity, which has no right to come into existence. The sugar was gone, quite gone, and the river being low, they could get none until it rose, at which time there would be an inundation of the lowlands. For no for an aphorism, they were sacrificing the potato crop. William was alarmed to hear his father's public speeches in which all mankind was invited to settle in New Harmony, where already the wolf snarled at the door. New Harmony was not in need of mystic ecstasy, nor any tendency to dismiss reality, a wolf at the door. New Harmony, far from needing mankind, which could always be dispensed with, needed skilled workers, and more than all else besides, a good black cook from Louisville. Communism could wait until some other century, and with it the domain of high abstraction rationalism. For during a night of bombardment, one hardly sits in his house considering the ineffable music of the spears. That is, unless one is already dead. Happily. The Gazette, a spokesman for the communistic colonization of America, expressed none of William's confused, disquieting views. The Gazette, a pioneer of good journalism, preceded Gaudi's Ladies' Book by five years. It was dedicated as latter was not to simplified costume and existence, woman's suffrage, destruction of the aristocratic spirit, ununited labor, removal of excess baggage from the ship of state, extended democracy, the view of man as a two-legged animal whose needs are few, common sense, plain living, and other laudable aims. Its first issue in the autumn of 1825 bore the motto, If we cannot re reconcile all opinions, let us endeavor to unite all hearts. The prospectus denounced, in our gazette, we propose we propose developing more fully the principles of the social system, that the world, with ourselves, may, by contrast, be convinced that individuality detracts largely from the sum of human happiness. The Gazette displayed, instead of small-town gossip, as is on such deep subjects as the facts and laws of human nature, the harmony of the universe, the breeding of a new humanity, the habits of the whale as a type of grandeur, the remarkable advances which have been made by science, the death-rattle of myth, the geological ages of the earth, the creation of a superior circumstance, at least that is the gist of it. <clears throat> the Gazette columns 
Moreover, welcome to the free expression of criticism from all and sundry. Low and neighboring Illinois farmer objected to the unusual proceedings at New Harmony. Looking up from his furrow, he had seen Bacchanalian revels, a goat-headed Greek, where there had been an angel. This Athens of the wilderness was an outrage to the local inhabitants. The Owenites had denied God, and they had made the sexes equal, and they burned candles at evening dances. They should have saved their candles for a rainy day. No society founded on Robert Owen's principles could last. They will at the outset commit suicide on themselves if steadily adhered to. The Owenites were doomed from the beginning. The light was already gone out of their body, and their throat was an open sepulture, and the poison of asps was under their tongue. The Illinois farmer had seen not so much as one nail driven into a wall. The Gazette replied without rancor, as its business was to unite all hearts, that after the fatigue of the day, when they could not see when they could not see to handle a plough, they considered themselves as at perfect liberty to devote their evenings to intellectual improvement or any rational enjoyment. Piece by piece, in spite of the most hopeful of all editorial policies, there emerges a discouraging picture of utopia in its beginnings. The Rapite City was a disappointment. True, there had been some changes, some improvements, over the celibate order. The smaller Rapite church, the slender spire, which was furnished with heavy bells, so that the whole edifice seemed likely to topple, was being used as a kindergarten and a school for graybeards. The wholesale transformation of men was still considered possible. Now, where there had been celibacy, there was free love. So, yes, this predated the 60s. This was a thing. Um, um, throughout, throughout American history, it's touched upon, not in mainstream history outside of it. Mostly it was conservative. It was extremely conservative. Um, uh, as... I would say as we still are compared to other countries, because I know when I went to London and we watched their TV, we were like, holy shrimp. So, um, so yeah, we weren't used to it. And, and the bars, and then Sunday, we were, we were used to things being quieter and slower on Sundays here. Um, in certain parts in other parts of really across the U S though, it really does. Whereas in Europe, so we kind of expected, Oh, there won't be a lot of things open. We won't, you know, have a chance to, it was kind of wind down. And no, everything was open, like just bars were open doors and everybody was, it was full, it was crowded and everything. So that was the day people kind of like got out and did stuff. So, so yeah, it's, but this free love thing has popped its head up again, um, every once in a while in different movements, different movements outside the mainstream in America has definitely happened. Um, da, 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 da. The cruciform church was, has, was become a dance hall where the Owenites danced in the rectangular pattern, feeling the confluence of beauty with truth and perfect harmony. Lord Byron's stanzas, written after his separation from his wife, were recited in the celestial rooms. Yet there was something strangely missing, as if humanity were not, hum were not enough for human happiness. As if humanity were not enough for human happiness. So I, I think that... And the other thing I find interesting is Young is criticizing this idea that, that it's not in man's nature to be happy. Um... And it's just not something you can give them. So I find that interesting. Women were made the equals of men, both conspiring together to be the immortal cre body of creation. The polarity of the sexes seemed unreal, but so did the body of creation. It was all hollowness, all emptiness. Words could not provide the correct reality. Problem, persisting like the Rapite graveyard, how to avoid the extinction of this community on earth. 
The Owenites felt haunted by the Rapite predecessors. Perhaps times Arrow had really fallen short of such a people, though they were suicidal as lemmings. Here the rude log cabin marked their first humble efforts. There a neat frame house bespoke their improvement in taste and workmanship. The cruciform church showed evidence of great skill in building. The Rapites had left behind them respectable evidence of their devotion to the branches of industry. Yet to what good end had they devoted themselves, and was all mankind ephemeral as those who had nailed the beams together? The Owenites were aware of their deficiencies in practical arts as compared with their forlorn predecessors. Even in a world governed by the Owenite theory, a spade remained a spade. There were too many vagrant deities floating around. There were too many idlers in the streets, like uprooted Indians, possessed of nothing but pride and melancholy, too many who did not know what time of day it was. The hands were horny with age, but not skilled. To some, older circumstances adhered, like dung to bird's feet. The message of immortality came from throats which were all open sepulchres. Many were toothless. A little goat cried and cried with his fleece caught in the thorn bush. When the flowers grew windflowers, grew where there had been wheat before. It was most discouraging. For a number of people ready to move on, although the majority were willing to wait for the second coming of one, Robert Owen, who had put things right. The Gazette reviewed their situation. They were 800 people who, in the short space of three weeks, had been drawn together from the four points of the compass, necessarily without much deliberation or any reference to their professional usefulness. No satisfactory division of labor could be effected, considering that there had been no selection of laborers to begin with. There were twelve seamstresses and mantua makers, but not a saddler, and two watchmakers, but not a coppersmith. A number of professions which would be extraneous in utopia, and many missing which were needed most badly. There were only thirty-six farmers and field laborers to feed their large population, still swelling like a tide. The industries established by the Rapites were going to waste. The Rapite mill stood idle for want of weavers. The brewery stood idle for want of brewers. The flour mill on cut-off stood idle for want of millers. The dye house, with its great vats of shining bronze, imperial as an instrument of Jacob, was unused, for the reason that Esau did not know how to operate it. There were, of course, redeeming features. The hat and shoe manufacturers had more orders than they could fill. The manufacture of candles, soap, and glue had exceeded their most sanguine expectations. There was an excellent apothecary shop where pills were given out free. As many as 309 wild pigeons had been felled in a single day. The river abounded in fish of every kind. Setting of hills and sky was marvelous beyond belief, a location which had exceeded every description of it. Deer might be seen bounding over their fields and browsing in their corn. The crow flew into the face of the scarecrow the Rapites had put up to guard their hop and cornfields. Nature was freed from the oppressor, at least. All right. So this is pretty interesting. Uh, afterwards, there is one family, I guess, that they have letters from that lived at the Owenite community. And then as she goes into, Young uh, spends quite a bit of time uh, bringing up their personal account of living in New Harmony. All right. Oh, we'll see what eighty-eight, and we are. Three thirty-one. So it's 100, we've got 150 pages left. Alrighty. Thank you for listening. Bye.